Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Leslie McClurg in for Mina Kim. Anxiety is on the rise. In a recent survey, nearly 80% of psychologists reported an increase in anxiety disorders among patients since the start of the pandemic. Research shows anxiety is increasing in children, teens, healthcare workers, teachers, transgender people, and BIPOC. From the pandemic to climate change to economic instability, the factors sparking anxiety vary widely as do the solutions that work to quell symptoms. We'll talk about the latest research on treating anxiety and answer your questions. That's next after this news. This is Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim. Seven million Americans suffer from generalized anxiety disorder. Many others struggle with phobias, separation anxiety, or panic disorders. Because every situation is different, experts say there's no one treatment that works for everyone. We'll talk about the latest research and solutions for managing clinical anxiety, from meditation to pharmaceuticals, and we'll offer some advice to help reduce everyday stress. And we're joined now by Andrea Peterson. She's a health reporter for The Wall Street Journal and the author of On Edge, A Journey Through Anxiety. Welcome, Andrea. Hi, thanks thanks for having me. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot in the world right now to be pretty stressed out about. But daily stress, you know, say the fact that you've got relatives coming in this week that you may not want to see or, or, you know, work stress, parenting stress, that kind of stuff is different from clinical anxiety. So just kind of give us the lay of the land. How is clinical anxiety unique? Right. So anxiety is a normal human emotion, and it's actually really useful. It's, It's something that's kind of overlaid over this a uh, threat detection system that we all have that allows us to jump away from a moving car or uh, to prepare for a big presentation. Um, but what happens is it becomes a problem when it impairs your life in some way, basically when it prevents you from living the, the life you way you want to live it, you know, whether it's impacting your relationships or your work. 
And this is personal to you. I mean, you wrote all about your own journey, like we said, in your book. So how did anxiety get in the way of your life? So, you know, looking back on it, I can see sort of little elements of it when I was a kid, but it really uh, kind of sort of stopped me in my tracks when I was in college. And I started having, I mean, I remember actually this one moment when when it really uh, um it, it, it just basically paralyzed me. I was um, standing in a nondescript academic building waiting to choose my classes for the next semester. And I uh, just, I started feeling short of breath. Um, I had these strange visual changes. The words I was reading started to dip and buckle. And I was just consumed with this overwhelming feeling of dread and that I was about to die. And what I didn't know at the time is that I, what I was experiencing was a panic attack, which, which is this very intense surge of anxiety coupled with this feeling of catastrophe that something is going you know, terribly wrong with your, with your body or your brain, that you're going to die or go crazy. And it's just one of many different kind of flavors of anxiety disorders. You know, you mentioned generalized anxiety disorder, which is what a lot of us think of, you know, it's characterized more by worry, um, you know, excessive worry about everything, you know, global warming. I mean, there's a lot of things to be worried about, but these are these worries um, really interfere with with someone's functioning to, you know, when we think of separation anxiety disorder. We often think of that, you know, especially among young children who are having a really, you know, hard time being away from a parent um, to, uh, you know, there, there's, 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 you know, to post-traumatic stress disorder, which is, you know, uh, re re having related to a particular trauma. So, um, social anxiety disorder, you know, fear of social situations. So there's many different flavors, but, but they all, you know, share, um, a lot in common in terms of, you know, what makes someone perhaps vulnerable to them. And also, um, uh, share a lot in terms of what treatments tend to be helpful. And so you have this experience where you're, you know, can't move, paralyzed in this building. Uh, you know, fast forward, you have many more of these experiences over the weeks and months that follow. What are you eventually diagnosed with or, or, or numerous diagnoses, if I remember correctly? Right. So what 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 happened is, you know, that one experience, basically, after that, it, it I was pretty much paralyzed on my parents sofa for about a month. Um, and I had, uh, you know, I ended up in the emergency room several times. Um, I went to multiple doctors. I had about a year-long medical odyssey trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And I'd like to, I'd, I'd hope that this would not happen now, that there would that there's a lot more awareness about mental health issues um, uh, than there was when I was in college. But I but I do know just from the research that you know, people often, it often takes years for them to actually be correctly diagnosed and to, and to get the appropriate treatment. So, um, you know, finally I ended up actually in the office of a psychiatrist saying that, you know, they had to help me. I'm like, you have to do something for me. And they finally said, we can put you on Prozac or we can send you to the anxiety disorders clinic at the university of Michigan hospital, which I, which where I was living at the time. Mm. And that was the first time actually anyone said the word anxiety disorder to me. And that started my um, uh, sort of journey with, with clinical treatments. And initially I started with cognitive behavioral therapy, which is, is still even, you know, more than 25 years later, 
really sort of the gold standard. I mean, Dr. Hoffman can talk about that, about, um, you know, the it's, it's basically a non-drug treatment that helps you um, change the thoughts that that really fuel anxiety, you know, these sort of catastrophic thoughts, um, you know, for say for someone with social anxiety, you know, if uh, thinking that, you know, everyone's going to, you know, no one's going to laugh at my jokes. Everyone's going to, you know, hate me if I go into this party, I'm going to make a fool of myself. And, you know, you're really taught in these therapy sessions to um, really kind of coolly analyze what is the evidence of, of, of that those thoughts are actually true. What is the likelihood that those thoughts are going to actually, uh, unfold you know, come to fruition and then also exposure therapy, which that is really kind of the, the, that was the key for me personally, because what, what happens often in panic disorder is that, um, slowly you start to avoid the various situations that, cause anxiety. So for me, you know, if I had a panic attack, you know, I, I basically stopped, you know, stop really doing much of anything because I would try to avoid the situations where I would have panic attacks. So you have to basically approach the very, the very situations that you fear. So if, you know, again, someone with social anxiety disorder, you know, it would be actually, you know, going to parties. It would be, it would be putting yourself out there socially because what you do is you, you know, it's as, as you, keep exposing yourself to those situations and 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 are able to cope with them you're reinforcing this idea that you that you can actually uh you know get through them and and the and, worst case scenario is not going to actually unfold exactly. like the, the part you might even have fun at the party perhaps. right exactly exactly and so eventually you're working you're doing cbt or cognitive behavioral therapy uh, what other you know solutions methods things have been helpful for you Right. So the other main treatment, and this is something that's been uh, true for a long time, is also uh, medication. And in particular, what's what we think of as antidepressant medications like um, Prozac, Lexapro, uh, those those drugs, while they might be called antidepressants, most of them are also clinically indicated for anxiety as well. And so I did, uh, not when I was in college, but later I had a relapse when I was sort of a cub reporter at the journal and, um, it was stressful. It was, it was, <laughs> it was very stressful. And, um, and also I, I really wanted to, at that point, I, I felt like I had a lot more to lose. I couldn't really go back to my parents' sofa and just kind of take a break for, for a month when, when I, you know, had a job that I had to show up uh, to every day. And so I decided to go on medication. Then, um, I, I started with Prozac and, uh, and, you know, that unfortunately those drugs, you know, take about six to eight weeks to actually, uh, start working and, um, you know, they don't work for everybody too, but for me, they have been really helpful. And so, you know, when, and, and for me, you know, I, this has been a multi-decade now long sort of journey with anxiety. And so I have years where I am doing really well. And then the year, but the years where I really am, am, am maybe having a bit of a relapse, um, cause it is, can be a chronic condition, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy combined with a SSRI medication has really sort of been the, the thing that works for me. Um, but, you know, 
but like I said, you know, there, there are side effects for these medications. Um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy isn't accessible to everybody, uh, especially now. I mean, we're hearing more, we're hearing so much more about how difficult it is to actually access a mental health provider. Um, so I know that I feel very fortunate to be able to have, to have actually accessed those treatments because they are they are not always readily available and they don't they don't work for everybody. So so there's definitely a lot of work that needs to be done to to sort of improve that situation. And, you know, we're seeing a rising numbers increasing across across the country and across many populations. We kind of referenced that in, at the beginning there. What role do you think the pandemic is playing in driving, you know, anxiety, anxiety up? And is that still true now? Or are we beginning to see, you know, maybe we're all starting to settle down a little bit? Or, or do you think that we're really sort of seeing the after effects of the pandemic still in those numbers? Yeah, what's what's really interesting is that I mean I've been writing a lot about the mental health fault of the pandemic, particularly among um, kids and teens, and you know what we were seeing is that this sort of mental health crisis, particularly among young people, it's actually started before the pandemic. I mean, it, you know, if you look at the numbers, um, anxiety, depression, uh, and also things like suicide, um, you know, those were really starting to rise in the decade before the pandemic and the pandemic just really supercharged that. And so I think, you know, for, for that age group, um, uh, it was sort of accelerant. Um, I think, you know, obviously for, for others, uh, you know, there's a lot of good reasons why we're anxious. I mean, a global pandemic, you know, economic insecurity, war, climate change. What? Climate change. Yeah. There's, there's numerous reasons that we, we should be a little bit worried about the fate of our planet and the fate of our lives. Exactly. So, so, you know, that's not, it's not necessarily anything sort of pathological, um, you know, but, but, but it is, like I said, you know, I think that the distinction that, that most, you know, mental health professionals make and is like, okay, is, but is it impairing your life in some way? Like, you know, the, this, the, the anxieties that you're feeling, can you, um, Go to work in the morning. Can you you, take care of your kids? kids. Exactly, exactly. We're talking about anxiety and the reasons why it's on the rise and the solutions for managing it with Andrea Peterson. She's a health reporter at the Wall Street Journal. She's also the author of On Edge, A Journey Through Anxiety. And we're going to be joined by Stephen G. Hoffman in just a moment after this break. He's a professor of psychology at Boston University. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim. And we're talking about anxiety, the reasons it's on the rise, and the solutions for managing it. We're joined now with Andrea Peterson. She's a health reporter for The Wall Street Journal, and she's also the author of On Edge, A Journey Through Anxiety. And Stefan Hoffman, he's a professor of psychology at Boston University. Welcome, Stefan. Thank you. Can you kind of give us a lay of the land? How would you say or why would you say anxiety is on the rise in the country? Well, certainly, uh, as mentioned earlier, uh, the COVID situation has certainly supercharged it. Um, and I think our society in general um, uh, sort of puts us um, in, in states where we have little social connection and uh, and and, uh, and and uh, increased stress uh, through um, through all sorts of uh, different sources, political, economical in nature. So uh, whenever you see these kind of stressors piling up, um, people are responding to emotional distress, which is then um, uh, results in anxiety disorders, depression, and other problems, including su- uh, 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 we mentioned suicide and also substance use problems, et cetera. But anxiety disorders is a, is a phenomenon that uh, happens whenever uh, people are extremely distressed. And what would you say are the most exciting treatments that you are seeing in the field right now? Uh, well, uh, uh, Cognitive behavioral therapy is certainly uh, the gold standard and um, uh, and one of the most effective forms of psychotherapy. At the same time, uh, we have still ways to go. Uh, just about you know 50, 60, uh, when, we're, when we're lucky, 70% of people respond to these treatments. Uh, remission, meaning uh, having no problems whatsoever after these treatments, is actually rather rare. Uh, so remission rates uh, hover around 30%. Um, that is clearly, uh, uh, it's it's good, but it's clearly not good enough. And we need to do better than that. Um, uh, so uh, we heard uh, about traditional uh, anxiety reducing medications such as SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and, and antidepressants. They are uh, they're also part of our um, a tool set that we have available, and some people respond uh, um, reasonably well. Uh, again, we have very similar uh, um, uh, success rates as, as we have for cognitive behavior therapy. Newer treatments that have created a lot of excitement in the field recently, especially for um, treating trauma and depression, uh, has been uh, there have been a, a psychedelics, uh, so in particular uh, ketamine and psilocybin, uh, and uh, also LSD. So these are have been in, traditionally been obviously um, uh, you know since the Nixon area have been banned and and uh, people were not allowed to do any research, um, and they are now again uh, coming into vogue uh, now that uh, regulations are, are loosening. Uh, people are looking at that, and uh, some uh, some studies have found uh, well-controlled studies have found some very very um, 
um, promising results, in particular for treating uh, depression, but also trauma. For other forms of anxiety disorders, we, we, we don't know much about them yet, uh, but most certainly this will be also a uh, an exciting area for future research. Very exciting. Yeah, the science is, is absolutely incredible. Well, we'd love to bring some callers into the conversation. How does anxiety show up for you? What works for you? What hasn't worked for you? What makes you anxious? Maybe how do you help others? Maybe your children manage anxiety. I'd love those tips for my for my own kiddo. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum or give us a call 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Pete tweets. Regarding anxiety, here are my one, two, three tips. One, get grounded and present in your body. Two, breathe. You are all right, right now. Three, let go of yourself. You are not your thoughts. In the long term, find a good therapist with somatic experience. Good, good advice from Pete there. And Sue writes, for about 18 months before I had a panic attack, I woke up with what I felt like my body was running on idle. It was running on a high idle like a car. My chest trembled. I saw a doctor who was useless and didn't even suggest anxiety. When I ended up in the ER and was diagnosed with a panic attack, I found a new doctor. Are there medications to take if I feel a panic attack imminent rather than all the time? Steve or Stefan? Yes. Um, so um, medication is, is certainly uh, can help uh, for um, for many people. Um, uh, it can also be used um, in a maladaptive way if you use them as a way to to avoid your anxiety. In fact, um, in terms of it, it may sound paradoxical, but anxiety is not really the problem. Anxiety in anxiety disorders, but rather it's the response to anxiety that often becomes the problem. Particular avoidance strategies that we use to make us feel a little. Uh, better and uh, and avoidance uh, eventually takes over your life and restricts your life and um, uh, limits your options. So, and, uh, so pharmacotherapy useful uh, in some contexts, not overly useful in other contexts, such as taking benzodiazepines for treating uh, panic disorder. We know is not a very good idea. It used to be a prescribed. It used to be a standard uh, intervention. We now know that this is. Uh, benzodiazepines, which which uh, result in uh, can make you actually addicted, uh, um, is probably not the best option. They're highly addictive, correct? Correct. So let's go to Patrick in San Francisco. Patrick, you're on the air. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I I'm very interested in the topic uh, today because both of our kids actually are teenagers have OCD. And they are much, 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 much better now than they were a year ago. But I can tell you, my wife and I uh, spent a lot of time helping them. We were able to find them a good therapist. And, um, you know, OCD, for your listeners who don't know, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder uh, is sometimes classified as an anxiety disorder. And it's very focused on a, a particular object of anxiety, which people then try to compensate for either through avoidance or some kind of ritualistic behavior. Um, I can certainly relate that exposure and response prevention, that is allowing yourself to feel the anxiety and not trying to avoid it or resolve it, makes a huge difference. And uh, for anybody who's going through this, I definitely want to emphasize that um, it can get much, much better even though it can be very, very difficult in the moment. 
Uh, thank you so much, Patrick, for sharing that story. How, how challenging was it for you to find good help for your kiddos? Well, uh, base, I mean, we're fortunate. Um, I was able basically to make it a full-time job for a little while. Um, the way I would describe it to my friends is I had to do everything, everywhere, all the time. Um, wow. It's very hard. It's very hard. And, um, you know, it's understandable because, you know, you can't spin up trained uh, therapists at a moment's notice, right? So if the demand goes through the roof, there's just, you know, only so many people who can really handle it. But it, it is a real problem. Um, we're fortunate that we were able, you know, we were able to pay for it. We were able to take the time to find people. Um, it, it, it's a real problem. The one, the one actual, the other thing I would like to say is even if you can't find a therapist and finding a good therapist is definitely the way to go, parents can make a big difference. There's a really good book, and unfortunately I don't remember the name of it, but if you, if you look on Amazon or something, you can find this. And it's all about parents creating the environment where they allow their kids to challenge or not avoid, at least just to feel the anxiety and not try to avoid it, not try to resolve it, because the, the person who was speaking a minute ago about the coping strategies being part of the problem is very true. It's true for anxiety in general. It's true for OCD as well. So there are things that parents can do, but there's nothing really to substitute for a good therapist, and it is a real problem. It is a problem. There's not enough good therapists right now. Andrea, you have written about access. Talk a little bit about that, the, the challenges out there right now in terms of getting cognitive behavioral therapy for, for the general population. Right. Um, what's been happening during the pandemic is the, the demand has far exceeded the supply um, for therapists in, in general, and particularly among for people who specialize in children and adolescents. And I've talked to pediatricians um, uh, and parents who, you know, pediatricians who are trying to get their patients in with mental health professionals, psychologists, psychiatrists, um, social workers, and they're facing months long wait lists. Um, so it is a, it is a real, real problem. And the, the other thing is, is that many therapists don't take insurance also. So there's the cost issue as well. Um, you know, I've, uh, a lot of therapists that I've talked to about this issue say that, you know, insurance companies, you know, don't compensate them enough. They can make, you know, especially if you're in a, a, a city where there's enough demand, um, you know, therapists can, can uh, opt to go private pay. Um, so, so there's the, both the, the long wait lists. And then, you know, if you're, if you're able to find somebody, can you find someone who is in that worth, in network with your insurance provider? And that is really challenging. I mean, I've talked to some therapists about some potential, ways they're trying to resolve that. I mean, teletherapy is one, one thing, you know, so, so if you're in a, an area where maybe there's not uh, enough mental health professionals, you know, their, their rules have been relaxed to allow therapists to, to see people across state lines. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that has increased access, particularly, you know, if you're looking for like a child psychiatrist, which can be very difficult to find, particularly in rural areas. Um, so that's been one way. Other, other therapists I've talked to are sort of um, trying to combine uh, therapy with maybe some self-help um, elements too. So, you know, so maybe they're able to, you know, so maybe you see your therapist once every couple of months or once every couple of weeks. And then in between those times, you're able to, 
uh, you know, do sort of some online exercises or things like that. Obviously, there are a lot of apps and, um, uh, you know, online providers uh, with varying, varying, you know, and I, I'd love to hear uh, uh, Stefan, uh, you talk about what the efficacy, you know, what, what we know about the efficacy of that, because I think people are turning to those and, and, um, but I don't know if we've got a good handle on, you know, are those delivering evidence-based treatments? Stefan, do you, do you want to follow up there? Uh, Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, Thanks, Andrea. Yeah. Um, So uh, absolutely, uh, you know, it, 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 Kind of the, the the key is it depends. Some people will uh, will really uh, respond quite well to even self help books. Uh, some people will respond well to uh, even just a, a brief intervention, uh, uh, maybe a, a session or two with a therapist. Others will need uh, a lot of uh, uh, intervention and a lot of uh, and quite a you know it, it really depends on the on the specific case. Um, when we look around the world, uh, there are uh, models that uh, that uh, uh, of of countries that have actually embraced that idea uh, of of delivering good therapy and uh, found that uh, providing good care to uh, uh, to the people will actually reduce overall costs significantly uh, to the healthcare system in total. So. Uh, one particular example is the United, is United Kingdom. Uh, there's the uh, IAPT program, Improving Access to Psychological Therapies, uh, that really made an uh, economic argument, uh, was, was driving uh, the whole thing, um, namely what I just mentioned, that, that uh, providing uh, training uh, clinicians in, in evidence-based uh, therapies and making it um, easy for patients to access these uh, uh, services will result or in an overall reduction in overall healthcare costs because people do not go to uh, seven, eight different providers until they finally get uh, get diagnosed or are being misdiagnosed or mistreated. Uh, so you can make a system very efficient and uh, reduce uh, overall uh, uh, cost uh, and also uh, suffering in people. So a step care idea is is what really um, is quite um, beneficial for that reason. So people who don't need a, 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 a an intensive intervention might benefit quite well from uh, online intervention or even a self-help book. And perhaps uh, uh, people who need a little bit more might have an, a cell, uh, um, uh, an uh, internet-based intervention with uh, um, a therapist um, following up uh, or perhaps even um, uh, including a therapist in the, in the course and others might uh, need uh, a one-on-one uh, intervention. Good advice there. Uh, let's go to another call. LaDonna in Santa Clara, you're on the air. Hi there. I just wanted to add to the conversation um, another modality that I love. I'm a psychotherapist in the Bay Area, but I also have to work with, of course, my own system, and I support other therapists in the community. And there are many modalities that actually have um, different views in relationship to anxiety that are a bit on the non-pathological side, and I see anxiety often as an internal response, an internal reaction to something that's activating to the system. So in my work, it's really important to get curious in my own system, really important to get curious what anxiety is needing from me internally so I can actually respond. It's a bit of that befriending the anxiety as a bit of guidance and it often carries history of trauma or burdens of pain and sorrow. And I just want to just add that to the conversation of this internal exploration 
um, inside of ourselves. The last thing I wanted to say is many therapists are considering and uh, included in that of shifting from the individual work to more group space. And I'm really trying to support others in that because there's such a need. And um, I'd love to see more of us um, being willing to host group space instead of individual work because there's such a need in the, in the communities. LaDonna, when you say get curious about your own internal work, what exactly does that look like, a little more tangible? Yeah, so I think often anxiety is an internal response to something, right? And when I have an anxious part of me that sometimes I'll feel as a sensation, sometimes people feel it as a reoccurring thought that spins around in our head, sometimes it's an experience um, I want to get curious about the body, and I want to get curious about the thoughts, and I want to get curious about the feelings that anxiety may be related to. So to me, it's a part of me, and in that relationship I can have with myself, it actually feels uh, calming to the parts of us that actually feel like there's some leadership in caring for the anxiety, which I believe is part of what we call, kind of what we call like the befriending process. So when we can actually spend time getting to know the anxious part of us, it's not all of us. It could feel like all of us sometimes when we're super activated, but oftentimes anxiety can hold a lot of historical trauma, sometimes even from utero, sometimes um, something passed along from family systems. So I just hold and bring a lot of genuine curiosity and open-heartedness. I think that so it can also guide us. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because I think when I when I start getting anxious, I get more anxious because I want to push it away. I'm like, oh, if I just need to stop feeling this. But I see what you're saying. If I'm sort of like wrapping my arms around it and greeting it and not pushing it away, maybe that'll help lower my anxiety. Well, Matt tweets, I'm a CBT therapist, and I, CBT, again, is cognitive behavioral therapy, and he treats kids, teens, and adults with impending symptoms of anxiety and depression. There's been a huge uptick in anxiety due to the disruption of social skills development in kids and social opportunities with adults. We need less screen time. Many exclamation points. We're talking about anxiety, the reasons it's on the rise, and the solutions for managing it. We're joined by Andrea Peterson. She's a health reporter at the Wall Street Journal and author author of On Edge, A Journey Through Anxiety, and Stefan Hoffman, professor of psychology at Boston University. And we want to hear from you. How does anxiety show up for you? What works for you? What hasn't worked? What makes you anxious? And how do you help others, especially your kids? Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Or call us 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. We're talking about anxiety, the reasons it's on the rise, and solutions for managing it. We're joined by Andrea Peterson, a health reporter at The Wall Street Journal and the author of On Edge, A Journey Through Anxiety, and Stephen Hoffman. He's a professor of psychology at Boston University. And I want to start this segment out uh, going straight to a call. Uh, John from Napa, you're on the air. Um, Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I wanted to comment... uh, because uh, on and off I've had debilitating uh, anxiety um, for much of my life. Um, and, uh, you know, I actively see a therapist. I, I've tried uh, meditation, yoga, um, all kinds of different self-help. But um, um, it, I could never get rid of the anxiety attack, you know, the time mm-hmm. when it would, it would build and I, and, I, and, I, and I couldn't slow it down or stop it. And in the last five or six years, I've found a natural herb called kava kava that um, has really changed my life. And um, uh, um, I can I can take it when I when I feel a building, and it just relieves the about I don't know sixty to eighty percent of the physical part of that um, anxiety or that you know like anxiety attack. It has really changed my life. And and as I've used it and and had this tool, now I actually have them less and less uh, because I'm able to I don't know be more in touch with myself around um, you know those times um, because I have this relief. And I was just wondering if anybody had uh, done any testing uh, with this herb, this root. Do you, I'm curious, John, do you take it in a tea? How do you take it? No, they have it in, in capsules and tinctures, so they're fast-acting now, um, you know, um, so you don't have to make a tea. Excellent. Stefan, what does the research say? Do we know anything about kava kava? Yeah, not, uh, not a whole lot. I believe um, it's used, well, it has similar effects, as, you know, it's, it's a, a suppressant, similar effects to a, an, an alcohol to kind of feel, uh, to, to, to induce uh, calmness, relaxation. Uh, it's often also used to treat pain and seizures and uh, it's, it's used as a muscle relaxant. But um, there, there have been some studies done with generalized anxiety disorder showing some um, uh, some efficacy. But again, uh, you know, it's also, um, uh, there, there'll be certainly some people who will respond quite well to it and others not so much and other treatments will uh, be better for, for others. So they're, they're so this one shoe, one one size fits all idea. We also need to step away a bit. So it's wonderful that it works for you, and uh, and just keep keep uh, keep at it uh, if it seems to work fine. 
Well, one reason we're doing this segment today is because there was a recent study that was kind of inspired this segment about how mindfulness actually, meditation, might actually be more helpful than the drug Lexapro. This was one of the first studies that compared mindfulness to a pharmaceutical. Stefan, can you tell us a little bit about that study and sort of the takeaways from that? Yeah, that, that's not quite correct. The study it was a, a so-called non-inferiority trial. So the purpose was to see whether uh, one trial, one treatment, uh, uh, not so much whether one treatment is better than the other, but whether both treatments work similarly well. And that's what it was. What, that's what the researchers found uh, that uh, that there were basically both treatments having similar similar uh, effects in terms of uh, reducing uh, uh, anxiety. Uh, and uh, so uh, mindfulness uh, is a uh, very general approach toward uh, anxiety that uh, seems to be um, quite beneficial for some individuals. Similarly, uh, uh, SSRI in this case uh, is a similarly broad uh, band uh, Intervention that uh, that is beneficial for uh, for some people, and we and this particular study found that both are similarly effective, and there's no difference between them. Andrea, have you had any luck with meditation for your own anxiety? I I have. I, I will say I use you know meditation, yoga, both of which have some evidence behind it, um, that those are the things I really do rely on when, particularly when things are more stable for me. Um, I will also say that really kind of boring adulting things like getting enough sleep, there's been a lot of research showing the link between not getting enough sleep and uh, an increase in anxiety issues. So that's something that, um, May, may sound really basic, but is also quite critical. And there's there's also really interesting research showing that lack of sleep among kids is also very tightly, you know, very uh, linked to um, an, an increase in anxiety problems as well. Also, exercise is another thing. There's a lot of really interesting research looking at the um, impact of you know aerobic exercise, and and that's with a reduction in anxiety. There's one study that I love. Um, there's also looking at the impact of being in nature. Um, and it had two groups of people. One did a walk in nature, like in a very leafy park. The other one did a walk along a busy highway and showed that after like 45 minutes, the ones that had done the sort of leafy walk, uh, you know, had lower, lower measures on a lower scores on a measure of anxiety. So these are all things that are, you know, also very accessible, and I, for me personally, are very important at sort of keeping my, you know, always sort of uh, churning anxiety at at bay. And then, then when when things get more serious, that's when I, you know, I, I do reach for the things like cognitive behavioral therapy and SSRI medications. And Gerald writes he's been combining CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, with acupuncture for anxiety. Let's go to Laura in Oakland. Laura, you're on the air. Late. And about half an hour ago, I'm not sure. I'll listen to the whole thing afterwards. But I haven't heard anybody talk about the genetic component to anxiety. And also... um, I had an accident at the age of four. I was hit by a car. I was unconscious for two weeks. 
and I and I had I used to have horrendous nightmares, and I think that and I had all these studies done, and they didn't discover anything. So I I, I would like to hear a little bit about the genetic component to it. My mother had it, I have it, as I may have said, and the thing at, that both people or one person has mentioned is exercise really works for me and meditation and nature. So I really appreciate the, this program. Excellent, Laura. I'm glad you're getting out and getting some exercise and feeling better. Andrew, you've written about the genetics. So speak to, speak to the I genetic have. component. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, looking at my own family tree, uh, I, I can see how anxiety snakes through it. And then there have been twin studies that shows that um, anxiety disorders, or so the differences, individual differences in anxiety disorders, um, they the genetics account for about between 30, 35%. Um, so there's definitely a genetic component to it, but obviously there's, there's a lot that's environmental as well, because, you know, the, the sort of the, the rest of that. And, and I do see that with my, with my own 13 year old who, who's got, um, you know, who's had some, some challenges, particularly with, with uh, the pandemic and, and sort of the social isolation and that, and that contributing to anxiety. So, so yes, but but it, I do feel, feel like it's not necessarily um, deterministic, you know, that, that we that because of all the tools that we do have, uh, you know, we um, trying to get on top of that and and do the things that I know can can work. And as the caller mentioned, the nature and the exercise, those are all great things. Jean writes, our daughter, who's age seven, started having panic attacks during the pandemic, and a therapist recommended this book. And maybe it's the same book that the caller was referencing earlier. It's called uh, The Opposite of Worry uh, by Lawrence J. Cohen. I agree with the caller that helping your child get out of their head and into their body helps. From hikes to wrestling to art and especially breathing techniques makes a difference. David writes, meditation has brought me into awareness and through the many fears and feelings of powerlessness that accompany our basic humanity. That's very true for me, David. Embracing my egoic insecurities has proven a natural avenue to better health. Let's go to another caller. Uh, Rebecca, you're on the air in San Rafael. Oh, are you gone? Rebecca's gone. Let's go to uh, Arthur in Palo Alto. Arthur? Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'd like to talk about, I think that most most people do not get this psychological therapy, they get primary care therapy. Most of the drugs, psychological drugs, are given out in primary care. So we should have screening for people in primary care so that everyone can have screening for all conditions, all psychological conditions, from anxiety to depression to anything else. We should screen everybody in primary care. Therefore, we can have brief intervention. There's a technique called SBIRT. This brief intervention was was very important to get to to avoid the depression or whatever getting a lot worse or designed to get a lot worse. Andrew, you recently just Andrew, you recently just wrote actually about the screening that's increasing in schools. How do you think that's going to work, and, and what are some of the the fears around whether that's going to work? Right, there have been just actually just very recently there was a big task force of experts that recommended that all kids actually starting at age eight be screened for anxiety and um that is on top of earlier 
recommendations about depression. The American Academy of Pediatrics also recommended that kids be screened for suicidal thoughts. Um, you know, I think everyone realizes that this is, you know, that this needs to happen because of the increased incidence and also because what we're finding is that if you intervene early, um, you know, particularly with anxiety disorders, which tend to be the mental health issues that crop up the earliest. And if you can treat those when kids are young, you can stave off the development of more serious anxiety disorders and also things like depression down the line. So that you get a lot of bang for your buck, you know, if you can, if you can get those, um, uh, early. The problem is, is that because we're facing this real access crunch um, that, you know, like I said, I talked to the to pediatricians who, you know, don't really have anyone to send their patients to. And yes, as the caller mentioned, you know, the majority of antidepressants and other um, psychiatric drugs are actually prescribed by primary, primary care providers who may not have the level of expertise um, that you know to feel comfortable necessarily uh, doing that, or or you know, or or someone who may prefer therapy, you know, may not necessarily get the option to do that because of because of the access issue. So that's that is a real a real a real problem. And there's some you know there there are primary care providers you know they're they're trying to bring in mental health practitioners into their practice so that they can start offering more comprehensive services. One other thing I wanted to mention because, uh, you know, is uh, because it's something that comes up a lot. And I did another story about this is that there is some really interesting sort of um, emerging research about CBD. And I know that a lot of people are also using cannabis um, for anxiety as well. And that is actually less sort of well studied, but there is some interesting uh, promising research around CBD for anxiety. Excellent. We're talking, obviously, about anxiety and the reasons it's on the rise and solutions for managing it with Andrea Peterson, health reporter for The Wall Street Journal, and Stefan Hoffman, professor of psychology at Boston University. You're listening to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in for Mina Kim. Let's go to another caller, uh, Rebecca in San Rafael. Hi, thank you. I was wondering if um, your guest could comment on the role of diet and nutrition in anxiety. So I know for myself, I struggled off and on with anxiety my whole life and not until I was older really recognized that some of the things I was experiencing when I was 8 and 10 were actually panic attacks, but I didn't know the name for it. And when I turned 30, I'm 41 now, I had to, for other autoimmune-related reasons, I had to go on a low, an anti-inflammatory diet and pull like gluten and dairy and a bunch of triggers for me out. But a co-benefit was that my anxiety basically disappeared and I stopped having panic attacks. I stopped having persistent anxiety. And to this day, even 11 days later, if I, if I reintroduce some of those things, I'll notice that my anxiety kind of peaks and I'll start to get like panicky symptoms sometimes again. So I was just curious what the research and your thoughts on that are. Stefan, do you want to take that one? Sure. Yeah, it, it, uh, it, it's it's really wonderful that that it's worked for you. This is a uh, we know that um, on, based on research studies, um, diet seems to have very little effect overall in general on anxiety. But it's again, it's great that it worked for you. Um, I think in general, we um, what I just mentioned earlier. This this one size fits all doesn't work. Uh, so we really need to go uh, in order to understand, uh, to treat an individual uh, correctly and um, uh, optimally, 
we really need to go uh, uh, ideographic. That means that we need to understand uh, the individual in, in all its complexities and not uh, uh, simply label the person with a particular diagnosis and then uh, give uh, the, the treatment that seems to work for this particular label. So we are we're at a point of, of sort of personalizing our treatments uh, in psychiatry and, uh, and that also uh, is true for anxiety disorders. But it is one thing that, I mean, as a health reporter, I hear often when I'm covering many, many different things that we tend to forget that just sleeping well, eating well, getting some exercise can make a significant difference. Let's go to another caller. Deborah, you're on the air in Oakland. Hello. Thanks for having me. I wanted to ask you guys about the physiological response to stress. I have done a lot of talk therapy, um, have really enjoyed nature to calm me down. But I found that a technique called neuroemotional technique has really helped me. It's only 15 minutes long. It's not really about talking. It's about just bringing up the physiological response and then releasing it through meridians as well as really, really gentle chiropractic points on the back and breathing through it. And then afterwards, like you go about your day and if that trigger comes up, your neurology gets to have a different choice instead of doing its normal neurological pathway. And um, yeah, there's been just some amazing research done through the One Foundation um, on it. So if people want to get more nerdy, there's a lot of information out there. Will you but say what it's called? What the speakers had to say. Yeah, will you say what it's, it's called, called one more time? Neuro, it's called, it's called neuroemotional technique. And it actually was on Grey Anatomy. They did like a whole example of how it works on Grey's Anatomy. If people want to also go that way if they're more pop culture style. <laughs> <laughs> Stefan, do you want to speak to that one? Um, I'm not familiar with this um, uh, treatment, but it, uh, what you, how you described it, it uh, sounded similar to Kundalini yoga, um, uh, where you also um, have meridian points and, uh, and, and, and chakras uh, are actually involved. And uh, this is a yoga intervention, uh, a specific type of yoga that uh, is... Um, uh, reasonably effective, but not more effective than cognitive behavioral therapy. Excellent. Really quickly, we don't have a ton of time, but Andrea, can you speak? Daniel asks, how does childhood trauma relate to anxiety disorders? That's really an interesting question. And there is links, there is research showing that a sort of adverse childhood experiences um, do relate to later development of all sorts of mental health issues, including anxiety disorders. And there seems to be actually um, some specific ones that that relate to anxiety, um, actually uh, childhood illness um, or the illness of a close family member. Um, uh, there's some thinking that, um, you know, that that can lead people to misinterpret bodily sensations as dangerous um, later on. Mm -hmm. So, so there's, there is definitely, uh, um, there's research definitely showing, showing a link between that. Wow. Well, listener tweets, my tips, tea with lemon balm, deep, slow breathing to calm the nervous system and settle the racing mind. Also getting physical, go walking, hike, yoga, cycle, get out of your head and into your body. We've been talking about anxiety, the reasons it's on the rise and solutions for managing it with Andrea Peterson. She's a health reporter at the Wall Street Journal and author of On Edge, A Journey Through Anxiety. And Stefan Hoffman, he's a professor of psychology at Boston University. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thanks for having us.
Thank you. Absolutely. And all have a wonderful, happy Thanksgiving week. Take care. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.